One thing I absolutely love about this country is that anyone can run for office technically and win. You could be a bartender living in the Bronx and then run for office and become a high profile member of Congress with over 5 million followers like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has done. And for that, I commend her. She has my respect. That's, that's, that's a great feat. However, just because you're in office doesn't mean you're smart and good at what you're doing. And she has certainly made a ton of gaffes and mistakes. So why are the Democrats following her lead? Take a look at this story from Fox News. Former EPA official, 2020 Dem candidates off base on climate change, taking cues from Ocasio-Cortez. And it's true. Now, I get it. She's got 5 million followers, but she doesn't have followers for the reason they think she does. I can only assume the 2020 Democratic candidates are embracing this far left nonsense because they see her. They see the traction she gets in the press and they think I need that to win. Unfortunately, the press doesn't have their interest at heart, typically, and they like propping up insanity because it gets clicks. You do have the ideologically driven, you know, woke journalists who are propping her up, but you also have Donald Trump propping her up. You have to ask yourself why that is. Why is Trump trying so hard to put all of the focus on the squad? Because he knows middle Americans, families are freaked out by all of this. And I have proof. I do. See the story? It says, that the 2020 Democratic candidates are taking their cues from Ocasio-Cortez. Well, you may have seen that uh, CNN did a long town hall on climate change. And certainly you would assume with all of these Democratic candidates doing this really long talk on such an important issue, the ratings would be through the roof. No, in fact, the ratings were absolute trash. CNN Climate Town Hall finishes last in viewers among cable news broadcasts. Why? Because most people don't care. I think climate change is a seriously important issue, but not when you're proposing rapid and and extensive government overhaul of the private sector, freaking people out. Why are they doing this? The left is chasing after Ocasio-Cortez and the woke Twitterati. But here's, here's a little bit more proof to reinforce this. What do you think happens when you take all the Democratic candidates, put them on a stage and say, what do you think? Well, your ratings are through the roof. CNN's ratings were 10.72 million in total viewers and 3 million in the key demo when they hosted the debates. So why did the town hall flop? Because it's likely people don't care that much about climate change. It is a progressive talking point. So all these Democrats chasing after this and nobody cared. Stop following her lead. It's not just that people don't care, which, which is a sad thing, I might add. I do think the environment is very important. I'm very much an environmentalist. But, it's not, but not only do people not care. So for one, I think Andrew Yang has done a great job of bridging that divide by having a conversation that appeals to moderates. He has. He's talked about the business, you know, the business sector and not just these emotional responses. Here's the thing, though. Not only is Ocasio-Cortez, you know, showing you things that people only a fringe care about, she's wrong. An EPA official saying she's wrong. So let's let's read this story. And I want to show you some of the stuff that's happened this week where it's just, you know, no matter what happens, you have these people on Twitter being some, some guy tweeted. I don't know who this guy is. He's like the Trump cultists think he's distracting the media with Sharpie gate. He is. It's literally doing that. We know he's doing it. We've known he's doing it. Stop. Let's read this story before we get started. Head over to timcast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical uh, op- address to send stuff. But of course, 
The best thing you can do is just share this video. YouTube is propping up corporate channels like CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. So in order for me to compete, because YouTube is throwing obstacles in my path, I require word of mouth. If you like this video, share it. And if, I, if you don't share it, well, then I didn't deserve it in the first place, did I? Let's read on. Fox News reports. The 2020 Democratic contenders are taking their cues from freshman New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's far left wing of the party when talking climate change, former EPA official Mandy Gunasakara alleged Thursday. Appearing on America's Newsroom with co-host Sandra Smith, Gunasakara said that climate change is an important issue, but she didn't agree that it's an existential threat to humanity, as Democrats assert. And that makes people think you're nuts. Like, here's, here's how I explained it in a, in, a, in a video a few days ago. Imagine if you walked into like the town center and there's a person wearing like a nice polo shirt and khakis and they smile and wave and say, can I talk to you for a minute? They shake, they shake your hand and they just say, look, you know, we're really concerned about these issues. And I think if we team up, blah, 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 and they talk to you about it. Guess what? It works. You know how I know? I used to do it for a living. Not everybody wants to talk. Okay. There's nothing you can do about it. But a lot of people will talk, talk to you and hear, hear about the problem. Now replace that with someone like Ocasio-Cortez holding up a big sign saying we have 12 years left, the world is ending, and people are going to be like, steer clear of that person. They're crazy. And that, they, they don't understand. Now, obviously, AOC and the squad and the Democrats aren't necessarily like someone waving a, a sign saying the end is nigh, but they're close. So a regular person is sitting in their house thinking, man, how am I going to pay tuition for my kid to go to college? And they turn on the TV and they see AOC going, we have 10 years left. We have to, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I just want to go get a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. And they get up and think, I got to clear my head. And then they show up at Chick-fil-A and there's a bunch of people blinking arms and blocking the doors. You, you see, this is why this nonsense doesn't work in the political landscape. And much to our detriment, I, I do think so. I think there's a lot of changes that need to be done. We just can't do it for political reasons. And it is worrisome. Sometimes protests, it, you know, a protest is necessary. But this, this freaks people out. Let's read more. On Thursday, CNN held a seven-hour town hall on climate change with some of the 2020 presidential candidates covering a range of topics from clean energy solutions to the high cost of some of the Green New Deal variants. All the candidates vowed aggressive action if elected. Former Vice President Joe Biden called climate change the single greatest concern. Pete Buttigieg, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, said tackling climate change is a challenge on, on par with winning World War II, or perhaps even more challenging than that. And yes, Cory Booker said it in the past. And they sound crazy when they do that. They, they, they really do. Even though I recognize the, the, the seriousness of climate change. There's also a really funny picture of Buttigieg, because apparently Buttigieg said, if you eat meat and use straws, you're part of the problem. And there's photos of him eating meat and drinking out of straws. Of course there are, because apparently he's not a regular person. I don't know. Apparently he is, and he uses straws too. On America's newsroom, Gunasakara said, President Trump is being pragmatic with, with his approach to the issue. What voters should know is that President Trump is taking action to address this very issue, she said. So he's taking a very pragmatic approach that balances economic growth and environmental protection. And that's what I've called for. If that's the case, and I'm not going to say it is because I don't have the sources pulled up, but that's absolutely the correct response. Okay, conservatives say, I don't believe you, and it's nonsense. And the left says the world is ending. It's like, hold on, man. We can do environmental reforms. We can strengthen the economy. It's possible. Let's approach it from a business point of view on how we can transform things that, that are beneficial, technological advancements, etc. Instead, you get the end is nigh people screeching and going on TV for seven hours. One of the main things he's done is set the first ever greenhouse gas standards for existing coal-fired power plants uh, premised on taking coal plants into the future, not putting them out of business. 
because he understands that having a reliable and affordable source of energy is key to continuing to grow the economy. Well, I would say, you know, natural gas has been, uh, apparently it's very low emission if, you know, not, there's no emissions. So there's, there's good ideas there. But what do you hear from the left? No fossil fuels, period. Well, well, hold on, man. You can't do that. No nuclear energy. Whoa, 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 slow down. You see, this is the problem. Nuclear energy does make sense. Is it perfect? No. Natural gas does make sense. Instead, they're like, everything should be solar. Well, hold on, dude. We need massive batteries. You don't get sunlight at night. What about wind? Right, right, right. I understand. I'm all for renewable, 100%. Okay? Do you need battery technology? We need ways to store the energy. It's not so simple. And we need a middle of the road approach. Now they're screeching about the world ending, and I get it. You're not going to solve the problem that way. It'll just lead to chaos. So here's the thing, right? I've I've shown you. I want to walk through. Now I want to get more into the AOC leading people to their own, leading the Democrats to their ruin. This climate town hall didn't work. The ratings for the debate were really high, which says people do want to know what Democrats think about things. Apparently not climate change, though. So here's AOC's Twitter account. 5.3 million followers. I admit that's very influential, but it's a tiny fraction of the total voter base of what, 130 million people who voted? Five million is a lot. But get this, I follow her and I don't, I wouldn't vote for her. So not only does she not represent even a plurality of, or a majority of the voter base, it's a very, very small minority. Most of the people who follow her, maybe not most, but let's, let's say half, they follow her and they don't agree with her. She's just in the press. Well, Joe Biden knows this. Joe Biden said in July, or I'm sorry, he suggested Ocasio-Cortez's far left politics won't play in a general election against Trump. He's right. The ratings. Look at the ratings. Okay. If, if CNN can't even muster their last place and they have all the Democrats, that says something, man. The Democrats don't have the poll on their own and or no one cares about climate change. But I would say based on the debates, people cared. The ratings were high. They were like number one. I'm pretty sure number one with 10 million viewers. This shows you when it comes to the general population, they're willing to say, okay, Democrats, what are you offering? And when the Democrats raise their hand and say climate change, they turn around and walk away. Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal stuff will not win an election. And you want to know what's worse for the Democrats? As Michael Moore put it, this one's from just uh, uh, yesterday. Michael Moore warns Democrats will stay home if Biden gets the nomination. Our base will stay home once more if Biden is the candidate, he says. Well, guess what? He's right. The progressives will not get behind a moderate. They won't. And moderates know it. And so I've talked to moderates and they're, they're scared. They're like, we have to vote for their people or else. And so a lot of people are walking away. There's literally the walk away campaign where former Democrats are now cheering on Republicans. I, 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 you know, I mentioned this the other day. I've talked to lifelong Democrats who said they're voting for Trump. And, you know, my thing was like, yeah, but come on, right? Like, there, there's, you don't like his, his plans and his policies. He's not progressive on health care. He, he's taken, you know, Obamacare to court. He's made a lot of changes that Democrats probably wouldn't like. And they stop me and say, listen, man, the Democrats have gone nuts. And the, the mentality from a lot of the people I talk to is that they need a lesson taught to them, right? Like, it's not so much about like, I'm going to make you suffer because you're mean to me, but it's more like, I would rather have this guy, even though I disagree, than these crazy people. And I see it. And I, I went over, there's like chaos voters who just want to watch the world burn. They are people who are just shocked how far left the Democrats have gone. And the closest opportunity they have is Trump. So they're going to do it. And there are people who just tell me they're not going to vote at all. 
You know, people, I'm, I'm, I personally will not be bullied into voting for someone like AOC and one of these weird far left, you know, panderers. Sorry, you've lost me for the most part. Now, Tulsi is awesome. Tulsi just tweeted out uh, condemning political correctness and defending free speech. And Tulsi's amazing. Not perfect. You know, a lot of her policies, I think, are, are, are far left economically. But when it comes to culture, she's right on, she's, she's right where she needs to be. And that's really important. Free speech, ending war, you know, d- criticizing political correctness. I'm just like, those are like big issues for me. You, you, you know, if you watch my videos, what would get me excited? But let's move on because it, it gets funnier. Constantly in the news, we can see other members of the squad, not just AOC. Here's one from the Daily Caller. Uh, I'm not going to read through it. I just want to show you. Things are about to get a lot worse for Ilhan Omar. Scandal after scandal. You know, did she marry her brother or not? I don't, I don't know, man. But all I know is the press is bad, bad, bad. And then what do we hear from Rashida Tlaib on Trump versus the squad? He's scared of us. Are you nuts? Trump is not scared of you. He's using you because you freak people out. I'm not trying to be mean to, to this, you know, necessarily saying you freak people out, but you do. And I, I, that's literally what I walked through with the first bit of this video. The ratings aren't there. Your policies are crazy. You got condemned by the Democrats and the Republicans over your speech about, over, over your, your comments about Israel in front of the squad as a whole, like Ilhan Omar. Look, I understand there is a segment of the left that supports Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib's statements on Israel. Most people don't. So that's, that's the important thing. But here's where it gets good. Because you may have heard about uh, Sharpie Gate, right? Well, check this out. Trump versus the squad. Trump reunited the Democrats to further his narrative. Ezra Klein wrote this. This is back in July. I made several videos talking about this. At first, I didn't realize what Trump was doing. He made a tweet about the squad and said, why don't they go back to where they came from? And everyone was all angry. And then I read this and realized Trump had distracted everyone from what he was doing on asylum. It's all a part of his plan. Not only does he he distract the press, but he forced the Democrats to rally once again behind the squad and the far left. And they're proud of it. They love it. They're like the, it's like the Pied Piper. They're dancing around in front playing the flute while the Demo- while their Democrats just like dancing along as they lead them right into the ocean. Meanwhile, moderates and people like me are going, stop. We can't win. We can't win. Trump's voice is too loud. It's definitely too loud. And he can absolutely control the narrative. And oh, oh boy, do I mean it. Check this out. The incredibly absurd Trump-CNN Sharpie Gate feud explained. Why are we talking about Trump's hurricane thing with a Sharpie? I don't care. I never did. And so I ignored it because I'm like, it's the most absurd thing ever. It was trending on Twitter. Now Trump is selling Sharpies. I kid you not. Okay. I, I, I haven't checked. Okay. So I could be wrong, but there are images going around where they're like, Trump is now selling his own black markers on his website. Why would Trump repeatedly tweet about something so silly. Well, check this out. First, (laughs) here's how they respond. Trump is in severe mental decline, uh, concerns raised over president's health. This is in response to the Sharpie thing, okay? So now they're they're saying Trump is unwell, but the question is why? So, So Trump responded over and over again with the Sharpie thing, back and forth, rejecting the news, saying, nope, 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 I'm right. And they're saying, oh my God, Trump, you're wrong. And I wonder, I wonder if Trump was doing it on purpose. I have to wonder, oh, what's that? A couple days ago, Trump just reallocated more military funding towards the wall, which was very controversial and had a lot of people angry. And then all of a sudden, Sharpie gate, Trump won't stop talking about a black marker on a whiteboard. And everybody dances along to the controversy with the top trend. And then they say, 
You know that guy tweet? I tweeted at him. He tweeted out, Trump cultists think he's playing the media. I am no Trump cultist. And, most, and I think everybody knows that. However, you are nuts if you think Trump just keeps accidentally slipping on banana peels, but doing a backflip instead of falling. Right? You ever see It's like, that's the idea. If you think that Trump isn't doing this on purpose, I want you to imagine this. Trump's walking down the hallway, slips on a banana peel and does a perfect backflip and lands perfectly and then keeps walking. That's what you're implying, that his accident turned out to be extremely beneficial. No, I think Trump knows what he's doing. It's not hard. A, a child would understand the concept of dangling keys in front of you while they're you know, making cookies or something so you're distracted. It is a basic premise. But more importantly, I don't need to sit here and prove to you that it is or isn't because the media has written about it extensively, extensively. They have talked about Trump distracting the media all day and night. This is what he does. So all of a sudden, when it comes to asylum, what does Trump do? He rails on the squad and the media turns the cameras and points at them and they laugh and say, what do they say? Trump is scared of us. Yes. Meanwhile, he dramatically changed the rules on asylum, which was hugely beneficial to his campaign promises. They then say, oh, Trump is losing his mind. He's going crazy. He's obsessed with this. And Sharpie gate, I kid you not, becomes a word. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, what's going on? Another highly controversial funding poll. And you know what? Like clockwork, like dancing to the Pied Piper, Piers Morgan, memo to President Trump and the self-obsessed U.S. media, for the love of sweet Alabama, stop this pathetic Sharpie sideshow squabble and focus on Hurricane Dorian's catastrophic carnage. Thank you, Piers Morgan. I never thought I would say those words. Recently, I think uh, Pierce did something with Ben Shapiro where he called out the woke insanity to the left. And he was right. He was spot on. And a lot of people were laughing like, wow, I never thought I'd be agreeing with Pierce Morgan. But here he goes again. Memo to President Trump and the self-obsessed U.S. media. Yep. Listen, Dorian is bad. So Trump has, he has made some tweets about Dorian and about the aid, aid relief stuff when it's positive. But getting people to look at this destruction and this disaster could be, could be bad for Trump. It could, because people are going to be critical of the response, and you should never know where the media is going to go. Trump knows he's going to get away with it. All he has to do, put a Sharpie on a board. I, I, think this, I think to an extent this was an accident, right? I don't think Trump knew the media would go insane over this. But when they did, he, he, he seized the opportunity. And they try and act like, like it's not on purpose. And that to me is crazy. How can you have the Washington Post, the New York Times, Vox, everybody's report over and over again that Trump distracts the media all day and night. But now they're trying to claim that every banana peel Trump has slipped on was all an accident. How about this? How about instead of Trump walking down the hallway and slipping on a banana peel, Trump saw the banana peel and then used it to jump and do a backflip on purpose. Because you can't assume every single time he distracts the media, meanwhile does some kind, some kind of like big move on the border wall or on immigration, it's an accident. You know what I said? If this is an accident, then fortune smiles upon Trump every day and he's the luckiest guy on the planet. You have to be so lucky to have these media controversies pop up every time you try and do something controversial. Look, I get it. People are still talking about the border wall. They're still talking about asylum. And some people have responded to me saying, oh, like we can't talk about both. Of course you can. You can. Here's the thing, though. The people on Twitter are not talking about both for the most part. Certainly journalists are, right? This story exists it's on NPR. But the woke Twitterati outrage circles around Trump's absurd behavior. Let's talk about the hurricane. Let's talk about the actual disaster. Instead, 
What do they really care about? They really just care about winning the, the media war. Look at this from Fox News. Jason Riley, Sharpie Gate shows press will stress any petty controversy to hurt Trump. But you need to realize it's all part of the game. It's all part of the plan. It's not like Trump doesn't know what's happening. If Trump wanted to, he would just stop tweeting. But Trump likes it. He likes tweeting. And in the end, we can see exactly how the game is played. Let's bring this all the way back to the beginning and we'll wrap this up. EPA official says the Democratic candidates are off base on climate change and they're taking their cues from Ocasio-Cortez. And I agree. The ratings show us no one really cared because when you look at the debates, the ratings were 10 times higher. So no, Ocasio-Cortez's far left stuff is not what people are after. And Trump knows it. He's not scared of you. He knows what he's doing. He is roping the Democrats together. He is making all of the moderate mainstream Democrats chase after the Pied Piper that is the far left. And he's going to win. The New York Times reported his base is bigger today than when it was. And you know what's funny? First of all, as I say over and over again, I do not have Trump derangement syndrome. Like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm you know, a centrist moderate to the left where I'm just like, eh, Trump's not my preferred candidate. I think he's, he's crass and boorish and says some things that are bad. Okay. There's some policy things I disagree with. I would prefer someone like Tulsi for a lot of reasons. That's it. But because I don't toe their line and pretend like they're winning, they call me right wing. Listen, I'm not going to pretend Trump is winning if he isn't, but the data appears to show it. Now, it's all relative. It is, right? His approval rating is low. I think actually, though, around the same time for Obama, it was similar. But Trump's never really, on average, cracked over 50%. Easy to point out. However, you need to look at it relative to the rest of the Democrats, the rest of the presidential candidates. Yeah, people might not like Trump, but approval for Congress is like 19%. So Trump is doing better than Congress is. And then you can look at like Nancy Pelosi, whose approval is what, like 36 or fa- her favorability is like 36 percent. Trump's favorability is 43. So I get it. I get it. A lot of people don't like him, but people don't like the Democrats more. Think about what that means in the end. Trump takes a hit when he says these obnoxious things on Twitter. Of course, people don't like it, but they take bigger hits by aligning themselves with people who don't represent the moderates in this country. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews. It is a different channel. It'll be at 6 p.m. and I will see you all there. Things have been going pretty bad for woke media in these past few years. Take it from Shane Smith, the CEO of Vice, who said, I believe in 2014, that in the next coming years, there will be a bloodbath in digital. And we're seeing it. The latest news, Think Progress, a top progressive news site, has shut down. Now, here's, here's the funny thing. It's literally called Think Progress. It is a progressive news site. They defend, they've defended socialism. And people on Twitter on the left are calling it a center left. Okay, I just want to say something. There is the colloquial left and right, which kind of doesn't make sense and is kind of nebulous. So they're like center left as in it's not socialist enough. Okay, hold on. There's an actual scale, okay? When you look at the economic scale, the center is more, you know, there's, there's a tinge of capitalism across the whole spectrum, except for as far left as you can go, where you get straight socialism, command economy, and as far right as you can go, which is laissez-faire capitalism. So no, think progress is not center left when they're, when they're calling out the red scare and talking about democratic socialism being a good thing. If you embrace socialism, you're actually far left. Okay. And they're also, my understanding is they're fairly woke, but of course, of course, they're not, it's not going to work. People don't like this stuff. Case in point, Dave Chappelle, Bill Maher, the other night, 
I think it was the other night. I don't even know what date it is. Bill Maher did a segment where he ragged on fat people. And I was actually surprised, but I, I, I do really like Bill Maher, except, you know, I've criticized the guy for being, you know, up, his, up in his ivory tower and talking about a recession being good to get rid of Trump. Get out of here, man. However, he's, he, he did a segment ripping on the woke left again, and he does this all the time. And he says, why are we talking about government health care, universal health care, when, when Americans are stuffing their faces and eating junk? He actually swore. I can't swear. That's, the, that's HBO privilege right there. But Bill Maher said, basically, healthcare wouldn't be an issue we needed to be talking about if Americans just stopped eating like pigs. And he's like, you've got people now praising people for being overweight. So anyway, anyway, the reason I bring up Bill Maher, and I don't want to go off on tangent on Bill Maher, is because that's what, what Democrats, that's what people on the left are supposed to be about. You can be on the left and still be a responsible adult. Hey, I think universal healthcare is a great idea. Or what I should say is, you know, public healthcare in some capacity. But Bill Maher's right. How are we supposed to do that when you got a bunch of people who eat Twinkies all day and they gain a bunch of weight and then they're sick all of the time? So this is the point. Okay, let's bring it back to the media and I'll read the story. Think progress was being funded and nobody wanted to fund it anymore. Why? I think they're going to lose and they know it. Look, man, people were saying in 2016, this is the end of the Republican Party and Trump brings about the end, all that stuff, whatever. I don't know about that. Trump won. What I can say is, Think progress, gone, okay? The Democrats fractured, all right? Joe Biden is the best they can do, and then they got Bernie and, and, and Warren. Let's read this story and see exactly what happened with Think Progress. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. The best thing you can do, share this video so that I don't go the way of Think Progress. By sharing this video, you help me overcome the hurdles placed in front of me by YouTube because they derank independent political commentary. How fun is that? Let's read. The Daily Beast reports, Think Progress, the influential news site that rose to prominence in the shadow of the Bush administration and helped define progressivism during the Obama years is shutting down. The outlet, which served as an editorially independent project of the Democratic Party think tank Center for American Progress, will stop current operations on Friday and be converted into a site where CAP scholars can post. So, 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 So this is a Democratic Party think tank. And they're not going to fund this anymore. What does that say about Ocasio-Cortez and the progressive Democrats? It says they have no support. That's what it says to me. And, 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 and you know, Ocasio-Cortez, I've got maybe a bigger story, like maybe a bigger arc. Ocasio-Cortez is leading the Democrats down a dark path, which will be their destruction. And Trump knows it. And Trump's playing them like a fiddle. But you've got people coming out now saying, stop following these people. Look at Think Progress. Th- this, is a, this is a site that has said, you know, oh, people are, the right is getting Venezuela all wrong. I, I, granted, I don't know exactly what they're getting into in this. They, they may actually critique socialism. I don't want to be, you know, overly crit, uh, critical without actually having read their pieces. But just a cursory glance. And they're like, Republicans keep calling Democrats socialists. The Red Scare is in full swing. It seems rather defensive of socialism. Here's a puff piece. These Democratic socialist women plan to transform Western Pennsylvania. Conservative media is freaking out over Ocasio-Cortez's primary win. You see, they take a position, whether they're actually in support of socialism, that's still rather defensive of it. When you, when you see that they're not being supported anymore by the Democrats, then it looks like Ocasio-Cortez, a card-carrying member of the Democratic Socialists of America, who have voted on a resolution for open borders and, and, and health care for non-citizens, all that stuff. Uh, open borders for sure. I don't know about the other one. Top officials at CAP had been searching for a buyer to take over Think Progress, which has run deficits for years. 
And according to sources, there were potentially three serious buyers in the mix recently. But in a statement to staff, Navin Nayak, the executive director of the Center for American Progress Action Fund, said the site was ultimately unable to secure a patron. Given that we could find no new publisher, we have no other real option but to fold the Think Progress website back into CAP's broader online presence with a focus on analysis of policy, politics, and news events through the lens of existing CAP and CAP action staff experts. Conversations on how to do so are just beginning, but we will seek to reinvent it as a different platform for progressive change. A dozen Think Progress employees will be losing their jobs, a CAP aide said, as many who were on staff and already gone to work elsewhere, and some were incorporated into the larger CAP infrastructure. Those who are being laid off will be given a severance package that runs through the end of November and healthcare coverage uh, that lasts through the year, said Cap Aid. As for the actual website, thinkprogress.org will continue to exist, but it will no longer function as an independent enterprise focused on original reporting. Instead, according to Nayak, it'll be folded back into Cap. You told us that already. Thanks for wasting our time. Let's read on. At its peak, there were few more important pieces of unapologetically progressive online real estate than Think Progress. The site combined original reporting with an attack dog mentality to target Republican lawmakers and conservative ideas. And I got to say, I think it did a pretty bad job of it, as evidenced by its complete collapse. You know what, man? It's really funny. Think Progress is collapsing. Meanwhile, Human Events is on the rise. You, know, you guys know what Human Events is? Will, Will Chamberlain, it's like a lawyer, Trump supporter. He's a friend of mine. And he restarted re, re, uh, the Human Events Conservative Magazine as a website. And my understanding is they're doing really, really well. I think that says something. What I, what, I, what I think we're seeing, as evidenced by my channel and my content, is that whatever conservative is today, it's actually become more moderate, and it's creating a space for moderates and former Democrats. You know, I, I did this, this thing with Steven Crowder. Uh, I, was on, I was on his show. And he was asking me about, you know, the, the choice versus life argument. And I said, I, square, I, I squarely fall on the choice side. And he said, OK, let me, let me ask you, you've got the Democrat policy, which is abortion up until just before birth, which, yes, literally we have seen that pushed or some restrictions, you know, safe, legal and rare or whatever. And I'm like, why are the Republicans creating a space where they're like, OK, OK, we'll be moderate. You know why? It's, it's very obvious. They're paying attention. They know compromise is going to get them the victory they want. And they're willing to give a little to get a little. That makes sense. Smart, smart, smart move. Now you have former Occupy Wall Street activists voting for Trump. There was a story. I was, I was reading this. I believe it was from like CBS or something. Maybe it was Fast Company. I don't know. Where they, they did a profile of former leftists who voted for Trump. One of the guys was an Occupy Wall Street activist in New York who decided to vote for Trump. I went to the Deplorable 2017 when Trump was getting inaugurated. And there were some people wearing, you know, MAGA hats. And they're like, hey, Tim, they shook my hands. And they're like, we've been big fans since Occupy. And I was like, whoa, really? How did you go from being Occupy Wall Street to Trump? Same reason Bernie Sanders voters flip for Trump. Yep, 12 to 18%, depending on your source. People don't like the free trade stuff. They like stronger borders. They like populist economic policy. Bernie Sanders was offering up all that stuff. And guess what? Hillary wasn't. So Trump was second best. Trump was offering like, I'm going to help you guys out in rural America. And that spoke to a lot of people. So I look now at conservative media's boom. You know, Daily Wire is one of the biggest sources for conservatives on Facebook. Fox News is the biggest source. Occupy Democrats. That's what the left has to offer. Meanwhile, all these woke media companies are folding. Meanwhile, conservative medias are booming. You know, it, it's, it's really funny. Going back to human events, check it out. I, th- I think they do, they, good, they do good work. Admittedly, I'm biased because I'm friends with some of the people there. But you look at think progress collapse, vice layoffs, 
You know, you look at um, Mike.com being sold. All of the I, I've made how many videos talking about the collapse? Gawker's not going to be relaunched anymore. There's infighting at Gizmodo. And conservatives are buying up old magazines and restarting them. It's really simple, man. You know, I think progress collapsed and nobody wants to fund it because they live in a strange bubble world of Twitter. Seriously, they don't know what Americans want anymore. And so what's scary to me, what's, what's actually kind of frustrating is that here I am with very much the same principles I've always held, center left moderate, you know, uh, independent voter leaning Democratic. And who's advocating for what I believe in? Conservatives? <laughs> and it's not that conservatives have, have changed. No, there's, there's still staunch pro-life conservatives. There are still very, you know, anti-LGBTQ, like very traditional, hardcore conservatives. They still exist. The thing is, whatever conservative is, they are waving everybody over saying, come here, come here. We believe in free speech. We want to hear your argument. We want to go on camera, do interviews. And the left is saying, get out, get out. For me, I don't care about your tribes. I don't care about left or right. I care about what I believe in. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Yang and Tulsi. Yang has had some missteps, and I don't agree with all of their policies. You know, I, I think, I said this before, I really like Dan Crenshaw and I like Tulsi Gabbard. I know people have been ragging on Crenshaw for a while, but, but I, I think when it comes to the commander-in-chief, service is extremely important. But anyway, I, I, I digress. The right in this country, whatever the right is, has no problem welcoming in dissenting opinion. And hearing it out and being like, okay, fine, we'll compromise. And I think it's, 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 it's twofold. You've got former Democrats who switched for Trump, who actually demand that space, and conservatives recognizing they need that to win, Trump supporters recognizing they need that to win, are saying, okay, fine, okay, fine, okay, as long as we win, right? Because at least then you get some of what you want. The far left has gone nuts. They're advocating for open borders. I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. The, the Democratic Socialists of America vote on a resolution recently saying they want open borders. Ocasio-Cortez is a card-carrying member. She, 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 she deflects, oh, no, I, I don't want open borders. Like, come on, dude, you're a member of the DSA. We know what you're all about. California votes to give non-citizens health care. Every Democrat on the debate stage at CNN on the second night raises their hand for giving non-citizens health care. So what happens? You've got a lot of people in this country who just say, I, I, that's, I, I don't want anything to do with that, right? And then the conservatives are like, well, at least we're compromising. And a much better point, think progress collapses, okay? It's done gone. Fox News bringing on moderate and democratic voices. They hired Donna Brazil. They had a Bernie Sanders town hall. Trump was mad about it because Fox knows that they have, that they're able to form a massive coalition by bringing in left-leaning moderates. So they're creating a space for it. They're saying, we're, we're going to hear you out and we're going to give some, we're going to bring in some people to represent your voice. You might not like Donna Brazil. You might think her opinions are bad. You might be angry about, you know, what she did with Hillary to, to steal from Bernie. But I'll tell you this, Fox News is opening up that space to say, we're going to bring on someone to speak for you. What is the left doing? Get out now. That's all I hear. Look at Marion Williamson the other day. You see the, vid the, the video on my main channel? Check it out if you didn't. Poor Marion Williamson. She is such a sweetheart. And I really mean that. She's on the debate stage saying, we need to get away from this negativity and embrace love and kindness. And I don't care if you think it's silly. You know, maybe that's not the, maybe that's not the kind of strength we need in a president. Fine. But I, I tremendously respect someone who's, who's saying, I'm not going to engage in personal attacks, even against Trump. And she said in an interview, I don't need to talk about Trump's character because his character speaks for himself. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty good. Like, I can respect that you're trying to say, listen, I don't want to play the orange man bad game. I personally don't either. I don't, you know, and they get mad at me, Tim, why don't you make more videos about orange man bad? I don't care. Dude, you want to hear orange man bad? Turn on CNN. 
You get your fill, okay? You don't need it from me. And, and, and I, talk, I, still, I still rag on the guy fairly often. I want to talk about things that, that are being ignored. I want to talk about what matters. And what I end up seeing is, for some reason, Fox News brings on Bernie Sanders for a town hall in Donna, Brazil, and MSNBC screeches at the top of their lungs for three years about the Russians. You're nuts. You've lost the plot, man. CNN, I don't know what they're doing. But I'll, I will say they're all being led by the nose by Ocasio-Cortez on the far left because she, she's shocking and generating attention. But it's not going to be enough. Regular Democrats in this country will not vote for that if they're paying attention. Okay, you can lie to them and you can trick them. But here's the thing. In order to get a moderate Democrat to vote for a far left, you know, whatever these weird Democrats are doing, you've got to manipulate them. You've got to lie. Unfortunately, top progressive news sites sh- shutting down. Meanwhile, conservatives are launching new, new, uh, you know, new sites and they're doing well. Take a look at my content. I'm, I'm, I'm a moderate. We're launch, we launched Subverse to, to explosive fanfare, a million dollars in 22 hours. That was our, that's what we raised. It was a little bit more than that. And Subverse is just like we're getting away from the politics. It's just on the ground reporting straight news, cutting the politics out. And people love it. And, and to everybody who invested, thank you so much. Because they're tired of it. They're absolutely tired of it. So if apolitical content is emerging in the wake of whatever this is, conservative content is expanding. Fox, the number one channel on cable, bringing in, you know, Trump's actually mad that they've moved a little moderate. It's because Fox knows. Fox is looking at the market and they're saying, we can now capture every Democrat that was kicked out of the left by these lunatics. You see, you see how they treat people like me, people who are desperately trying. It's really funny. I get comments all the time where they're like, Tim, just accept it. You're not on the left anymore. I don't care about what the tribal left is. I care about my policies and they're very socially liberal center left. But so many people are like, why won't you just say it? I'm like, dude, I am trying harder than anybody to not be forced out of my principles by a group of lunatics. But I'll tell you, it's really difficult because they don't offer up any arguments. So I'm sitting here looking to my right, looking to my left. I know a bunch of stuff I read all day. So then I hear some arguments from the right and I say, actually, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, for instance, PragerU put out a video where they said, without God, there is no morality. It's morality is an opinion. And he says, how do you know that murder is wrong? And my response is, without God. Well, it's because I don't want to be murdered and I feel pain when other people get murdered. And so I want to stop that. It's a negative feeling. You see, I can argue. But then the right comes back with better arguments. Like when I was talking with Crowder and I go, "Ah, that's a really good point, Crowder. Let me think about what the left's counter. Oh, there's no argument from the left. Why? Because they told me to get get out. They kicked me out. Instead of saying, Tim, here's what we think about X. And me going, that's interesting. I I didn't hear that. They're not arguing at all. They're saying leave. So what ends up happening is you have a lot of people who are just standing there being attacked and insulted by the left while the right says, come over here, buddy. I got a beer waiting and we can have a talk over at this bar. I talk about some of the activists that I've known who are very staunchly like pro-Bernie and how they got berated and insulted for being white and things like that. And they're like, why are you yelling at me? And then all of a sudden, just to their right, where Trump supporters like, ignore those mean people. Come over here, have a beer. And they did. And then they get their ear talked off by conservatives saying, here's what we believe and why. And they go, oh, those are good points. And they look back and the person says, get out of here, you stupid Nazi. We don't want you on our side anyway. And they're like, okay, fine. And that's how you get Trump. And that's, and, and that's why, you know, the New York Times recently published this story saying, don't think Trump can, uh, can uh, something like, don't think Trump can't win 2020. His base is bigger today than it was when he got elected. So we'll see. You know, Hillary Clinton, for all her faults, she was a bad candidate, but she was better than what they have now. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Think progress collapsed. 
surprise, woke media has been dying for a while and conservative media is expanding. So what do you think that means? Whatever this weird, nonsensical, ideological far left stuff, it's just dying because they have no strong leadership and they're eating themselves. They're attacking their own and ripping, ripping each other to shreds. So be it. Next segment will be at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. I will see you all there. Bill Maher wants to bring back fat shaming. He says, quote, needs to make a comeback. He goes on to say that a little bit of fat shaming is a good thing because shame is the first step towards getting someone to change. He talks about civil rights and how you shame people and then they change. They think if they're shamed, maybe I can do better. Well, Bill Maher, you are correct. The other night, Bill Maher had, I believe he had Christina Hoff Summers, and he's routinely railed on political correctness. There, there is probably no better example of the problems of political correctness than this, you know, fat positivity movement. Now, listen, you're free to be fat if you want. Okay, I, I know a lot of fat people, and they talk about how they don't want to get fit and they like being fat. Hey, it's fine. However, the bigger problem for me, and I've ma- I've made this point several times before everyone gets angry, is that we have a a society, we have a, a country full of people who are increasingly obese but then demanding universal health care. And I'm not talking about moderates or conservatives. I'm talking about the far left who are simultaneously saying, eat whatever you want, be proud of how overweight you are and unhealthy you are, but the government should pay for everyone's health care. In turn, tax everybody so we can eat and be proud of it. Okay, listen, man, you got to be responsible, right? Bill Maher gets it. I don't like Bill Maher because of his, you know, I look up because I'm, I'm doing the ivory tower thing again, right? He's up there atop the clouds telling all the little people how they should act, but he's not wrong about this. And I'm referring to the recession thing. So let's, let's, let's read this and see what Bill Maher's talking about. And then uh, maybe he's right. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com donate in order to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But the best thing you can do is just share this video. Uh, word of mouth. It's the best thing possible. Instead of me relying on YouTube's algorithms to promote me when I know they don't want to, I'll just ask you to do it. And if you don't want to do it, well, then I don't deserve it in the first place. It's the way a business should work, right? Let's read. From Deadline. Bill Maher served up a supersized portion of steamed snark on Friday night as he weighed in on the American obesity crisis by equating overeating to racism and littering as a behavior that should be admonished in public ways. Quote, in August, 53 Americans died from mass shootings. The host of Real Time with Bill Maher told his live studio audience in, in, in Los Angeles. I think we get it. We know who Bill Maher is. Terrible, right? Do you know how many, how many died from obesity? 40,000. Fat shaming doesn't need to end. It needs to make a comeback. Some amount of shame is good. We shamed people out of smoking and into wearing seatbelts. We shamed them out of littering and most of them out of racism. Shame is the first step in reform. Can't say I disagree. There's one thing I really, really want to highlight to prove the, the fake like the, the, the shallowness of the body positivity stuff. Okay, first of all, there was a thing that happened in LA a few years ago called Dancing Man. A guy, some people filmed this fat guy dancing in the UK and it was really, really mean. That I understand. You don't, you don't like making fun of a person who's actually moving. Like Milo took a picture of a guy in a gym working out and called it disgusting. And I'm like, dude, the guy's in the gym. That you praise. You praise the good behavior. But you can see that a lot of people, it's, it's, it's a very shallow, you know, situation, right? You have right now, you have the intersectional feminists saying body positivity and like thin privilege and all that stuff. And then you look at Gillette. Gillette runs an ad slamming men for being toxic, 
but then shows a, a morbidly obese model. And I'm not saying that to be mean. She's actually morbidly obese. And it says, like, celebrate yourself while she's, like, cheering. And it's like, but that is toxic. And I mean literally toxic, as Bill Maher points out. It can, you know, ob- obesity leads to cancer and things like that. Look, man, if you're somebody who can't figure out how to get in shape, eat less, move more. It's not that complicated. I understand a lot of people are, are in these routines, but I want to make one more point. We'll read on. I've traveled around the world, right? You go to uh, Europe and you order, actually, Bill Maher brings this up. You go to Europe and you order food and you get this little tiny portion, little tiny compared to America. To them, it's like a normal meal. I go here, the diner near my house, I ordered, uh, a, 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 it was like a chicken sandwich and I kid you not, it was like that big. And I'm like, this is like three meals, dude. Like I can't eat this, but guess what? Americans have become desensitized. They think it's normal to eat like 3,000 calories in one sitting. And I seriously mean 3,000 calories. Think about, you know, I, I went to a, a, a restaurant the other day and one appetizer had 1,700 calories. That's like, you could, you could eat that for one day. You could wake up, eat that, not to eat for the rest of the day. That's how much food it is. So I do think we have a cultural problem. And it's not so much, you know, I'll actually talk, you know, okay, Bill Maher, I think you're right to a certain extent. But I also think we have a problem with this desire for value. So what happens is restaurants try and increase the portions to be like, look at ours. Ours is bigger for the same price instead of making it cheaper. They want it to look like it's, you know, it's more food. You're getting more bang for your buck. That to me results in people overeating. Not only do they eat burgers that are like twice as big, like two times bigger than like a burger in other parts of the world or a sandwich, you get a big old plate of fries. And then not only that, you get a soup or a salad before you start. It's just like Americans eat way too much. And so for me, the big issue is, look, man, if you want to be fit, that's fine. But how do you simultaneously have people saying government health care and we're not going to take any responsibility? That's Bill Maher's point. I also wonder if Bill Maher actually watches these videos because may- maybe, you know, while he's still more of the elite liberal type that I can criticize him for, for that, I feel like when it comes to the, the, the woke outrage, the intersectional stuff, I completely agree. I agree. And I'm, I'm really grateful this guy exists. I got to be honest. I know a lot of people slammed him over a lot of the crazy Trump derangement stuff he said and calling for the recession. And I slammed him several times for that. You know, fine. But man, he is a high profile left wing personality who's at least mostly sane. Okay, I say mostly sane because that recession stuff is pretty out there, I got to admit. But at least he's not doing, uh, well, I don't, actually, I don't know what he was doing on Russiagate, but Rachel Maddow's off for rocker. So, so at least Bill Maher can have on, you know, Bill Maher had on Milo. He had on Christina Hoffsommers just the other day. I commend that. I think he's, he's got an, an ounce of sanity left. And I'm worried because he still has a bit of the Trump derangement syndrome. He's, he's called like the recession thing was serious. People die in recessions. I'm worried that if he's the last vestige of a sane left in this country, and I don't know, as, but I'll say this too. Everything he says, I'm like, how is he not considered conservative? You know what I mean? I understand that he's a moderate Democrat. It doesn't matter. The left and the media, well, they're already, they're, they're already activists who call him alt-right, you know? But how is the, I guess Bill Maher, you can't call right wing because he just absolutely detests Trump. But it'll happen. Let's read. They say, Maher used his show's closing commentary to connect the dots between obesity and climate change, the healthcare crisis, and in a roundabout way, a national surrender of our space age vitality. That's, that was a good point, too. He shows a photo from the Apollo mission. And he's like, look how fit everybody was. What happened? On that last point, Maher shared a recent anecdote 
about watching vintage footage of the Apollo 11 mission and getting a jolting insight when the camera panned over a gathered crowd and showed how unfat the American public of 1969 looked. We look like a completely different race of people, he said. Now look at us. We wear our ans—we uh, wear our ancestors could have used as this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. He's just a picture of a dude. He says, what we wear, our ancestors could have used as a sail, like big moo-moos. Maher had plenty more to say on the topic. He sneered at Democratic doublespeak that adheres to liberal sensitivities, but also serves up a tacit endorsement of obesity of obesity public despite the public health consequences. You're the NRA of mayonnaise. We've gone to this weird place where fat is good. It's pointing out that fat, uh, it's pointing out that fat is unhealthy. That's what's bad. Fat shame? We fit shame, really. He does. He talks about how like there'll be like a, a skinny person and they'll get attacked for it. On body acceptance movement, quote, when did it become taboo in this country to talk about getting healthy? Weight Watchers had to literally take the words weight and watchers, I'm not kidding, out of their name. It's now WW because merely the idea of watching your weight is now bullying. What's next? Banning scales? (laughs) Yes. Yes. How long until they say it's offensive to have your weight listed on your ID? You can already change your gender on your ID. Think about like, okay, I, I understand the binary trans woman. And this is coming from language from ContraPoints, who I think is, is fairly wonderful, mind you. If you're not familiar, ContraPoints is a, a, a trans woman YouTuber, very, you know, left-leaning, talking about the difference between this new age non-binary trans stuff, which is like the infinite genders, versus binary trans, which is, you know, some born male who identifies as female. And that's Contra. And so you now have the situation where there's a, a, a legitimate legal reason to have your gender your biological sex listed on your ID. Let's say, you know, it's, it's true that some people don't always look like their biological gender. You know, there's, there's cultural standards and norms. There could be a, a, you know, burly person wearing a suit. Let's say they have a heart attack. It's very important when it comes to medical conditions, you know which kind of body type you're working on, especially for EMTs. Well, now someone could get their biological sex changed on their ID. And while I understand it for, for many people, why would you get your birth certificate changed? And what's the point of actually classifying someone in the first place? In my opinion, it's because there are real biological ramifications to it. So look, fine, you want to put whatever you want on your ID. But I also recognize when we start changing all of this and getting angry and removing things, I know, I, I know I'm kind of jumping to the ID thing. You know, it's kind of out of nowhere, but it's true. We, ha- we, we, we talk about height for a reason. We talk about weight for a reason, eye color, hair color. We identify people in certain ways for specific reasons. Anyway, let's read on. On the modern American appetite, we look at fried chicken and think that's a good start. Now put it on a bun and add bacon and cheese and something no one's even uh, and, and something no one's even thought to put on it. Make my mouth and they put orgasm because deadline can't say come. What Elizabeth Warren's plan? Uh, what's Elizabeth Warren's plan for that? He's right. I don't look. The universal health care debate would be much less of a debate if people were healthy and fit. And instead of this, we were like, hey, why don't you exercise? But people don't want to. People don't want to. And we also have an economy being, you know, uh, built around information. And because of that, people aren't as physical as they used to be. Let's read on. On the stakes, being fat isn't a birth defect. Nobody comes out of the womb needing to, to buy two seats on the airplane. Here is in a nutshell from the New York Times. Poor diet is the leading cause of mortality in the United States. Everyone knows that obesity is linked to terrible conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and virginity. Ha ha ha. Adding a tip for the Dems. And next, at next Thursday's debate, 
One of the candidates has to say the problem with our healthcare system is that Americans eat S and too much of it. All the candidates will talk about their health plans, but no one will mention the key factor. The citizens don't lift a finger to help. And then the candidates will go back on the trail next and try to prove they're just as big as gluttonous slobs as the rest of us. And then he shows pictures of all the Democrats eating disgusting food. <laughs> Listen, man, let's throw away all of the arguments, everything. Let's ignore it all. And I'll say one thing. Out of everything Bill Maher, Bill Maher said, there was one important point. The citizens do nothing to help. We have a responsibility to our community and to ourselves. Outside of the idea of obesity and government, what are, are we doing for our own communities? You know, I have this really fun idea. I, I'm, I'm actually looking at very, very small towns, dying towns, because they've lost industry. And I'm thinking, what can we do to revitalize these towns and restore these communities? Because I recognize giving back is a part of what makes this system work. But too many people today are me, 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 very, very selfish. There's a lot of blame to go around. We can certainly, certainly blame boomers who raised the millennials. We can blame Gen Xers. But in reality, it's just us. We've come to a point now where we love doubling down double bacon, cheeseburger, extra cheese, avocados, and mayo schlopped on top. And then when people get sick and fat, they say, it's not my fault. They go to the doctor for liposuction and then demand the government pay for their health care. Not necessarily liposuction. At a certain point, pe people in this country, whether you're left or right, have to take responsibility for themselves. It's an interesting, it's an, it's an interesting conundrum, but this, isn't, this, this idea falls into how the left is moving further and further left. They're removing the idea of personal responsibility and ascribing collective responsibility to everyone. That is, if they're overweight, too bad, the government should pay for it. Bill Maher, at least, is calling it out to a mainstream audience or what's left of the left. But I have a feeling with the growth of AOC and the squad and the far left, Either the left is going to collapse under its own weight, fractured into two different parties, or people like Bill Maher are a vestige of the past and the sane left will cease to exist. But that's going to be my next video coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. So stick around. It is a different channel. YouTube.com slash TimCast. Go over there and subscribe if you haven't already, and I will see you all then. Recently, I helped put on an event in the Philadelphia area, and I am honored to say that Daryl Davis was our headline speaker, and he received a standing ovation. If you don't know who he is, Daryl Davis is a black man who became friends with and attended Klan rallies. It seems strange. Many of you probably already know the story. See, Daryl wanted to know why there are white supremacists who hate him and they never even met him before. And it's an amazing point. How could you hate someone you don't know? So Daryl actually ended up befriending many of these Klan members and white supremacists, and they ended up turning in their robes to him and giving up on the Klan. In this story from NPR, how one man convinced 200 KKK members to give up their robes. Daryl Davis is an inspiration, and that's why I'm honored that he, he came to our event. He was a speaker there, and I'm also not surprised that he got a standing ovation from the crowd, because this audience genuinely wanted to know how to end racism. And now here's where it gets funny and kind of sad. In this event, you may know that we were protested. There was a threat potentially, I don't know how severe, to burn down the theater. The theater canceled on us. The brewery refused to back down and protesters showed up and protested a group of people from all walks of life, including the, the, uh, uh, the great Mr. Daryl Davis. Why? They claimed that the ending, the name of the event was called Ending Racism, but they claimed that was a, a trick. It was a conspiracy among white supremacists to have a secret meeting called Ending Racism, headlined by Daryl Davis. Now, here's where it gets kind of sad. 
and still kind of funny. Both at the same time. Daryl Davis was shocked to discover that he was being called a white supremacist. I feel bad because Daryl's a great, great man. I'm such a huge fan of his work. What, what he did over his life embodies, you know, so much of my personal philosophy. Why censorship is wrong. Why we need to bring people together. Why we need to allow people to become friends and see the humanity in one another. And he was a big inspiration for why we did this event. We need to get people from both political factions or tribes or however many there are to sit down and look each other in the eye and see the humanity. Daryl wrote this post, and I'm going to read it for you. And there are some offensive words I'm going to avoid saying, but they're on the screen. I might get in trouble, but it's important. The context of this video for the YouTube censors who probably won't care is that we are denouncing racism and and defending Daryl Davis, if that matters. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical uh, uh, address. But the best thing you can do is just share this video. This is going to get hit hard. I really doubt YouTube will allow me to share this because of the words he uses, of which I'm not going to, I won't say, but they're there on the screen. Although the most egregious ones are automatically censored. But this is an important issue. Daryl Davis was called a white supremacist by Antifa. And if there is anything that shows the bad faith of this group and these activists, it is Daryl Davis being insulted and protested. If they really cared about white supremacy, they would support his work. They don't. Let me read for you what Daryl wrote on Facebook. This is a public post, mind you. I'm not, you know, violating any privacy or anything. He said, hey, folks, you want to hear a good one? True story. I have been to 56 different countries on six continents, played in 15 foreign countries and played in 49 of 50 U.S. states. What state haven't you been to? Man. Oh, okay, okay. He played in 49 of 50. He's a blues musician. In between gigs, I have spent 30 years talking with Klan members, neo-Nazis, white nationalists, white supremacists, separatists, black uh, uh, supremacists, black separatists, alt-right members, and just about every other group you can imagine with a superiority complex. The purpose of which is to bring some reconciliation amongst different ideological groups to reduce violence and racism and bring about a sense of normalcy and civility among my fellow Americans. Bravo! embodying everything we were hoping to accomplish with that event. And it was an honor and privilege to host Mr. Davis. For my efforts, many of which have been successful, I have been called the N-word. A bunch of slurs I'm not going to read. I'm, I'm not going to read them. I might actually have to blur them, to, to be completely honest, but I'm not, I can't read them. Let's just say he's been called a lot of really, really very offensive things, like a, a race trader, a sellout, a pimp, and a prostitute, by some of those who look like me and claim to despise racism. When you add it all up, I've been just about called every name but my own name. I'm 60, in, six, in my 61 years on, on this earth, I have seen a lot and I've heard a lot. But a few nights ago, I was called something I could not imagine being called in a million years. I was part of a panel in Philadelphia assembled by the conference organizers to discuss ways to de-escalate racism, anti-Semitism, and violence in our country. Meanwhile, a group known as Antifa, short for anti-fascist, threatened to do violence to the conference organizers and uh, conference organizers and panel speakers and burn down the building where we were to speak. Despite the threats, we had a very successful conference. We celebrated with an after party in a room filled with people from all walks of life and every political persuasion from MAGA hat wearing Trump supporters to supporters of those at the opposite end of the Make America Great Again people and everyone in between on the spectrum. We all got along fantastically. Now, I want to stress, this is true. 
There was a survey. Um, most of the people were centrist, a lot of libertarians, but they were progressives. No one claimed to be a leftist, though. That was interesting. But the, many people did claim to be a progressive, and they were all there. We had uh, uh, one guy who was like a self-identified SJW up on stage, and I poured him whiskey. It was fun. It was funny. I, I brought people on stage, and then he came up. His name's Music Man Mike, and he says, can I get a shot, too, or am I, or am I too far left? And I laughed, and I was like, oh, of course. And the, the stage was supposed to be for the organizers, and then we were going to pass out the, the, the expensive scotch. But I was like, no, nah, come on up, man. You, you helped make it happen, too. And I'm eternally grateful for those, those people who came. Now, the reason I was looking over here is I don't think I can get the entire— You know what? I'll have to shrink this. Let me try. Uh, there we go. So it, it's small on screen now, but I did that so I could actually read it. So let's, let's read. He said, we all got along fantastically. It was actually really awesome. It was great. He says, meanwhile— the police department shut down the streets surrounding the site of the party as a crowd of about 40 Antifa members gathered outside the building to protest, accusing the speakers and organizers of being racist. We invited the Antifa members to come in and join the party and have an opportunity to talk with us. They refused. I thought I had seen and heard it all in my 61 years and nothing would surprise me, but I was mistaken. Now, are you ready for this? The Antifa people called me a white supremacist. <laughs> What? Are you kidding me? Wow. That's right. You heard me. They called me a white supremacist. Now I know I've heard it all. It's good to be colorblind sometimes, but this is ridiculous. Daryl Davis is a, he's such a great dude. Listen, Daryl Davis is a black man, okay? And he challenged racism and white supremacy, and he proved it wrong. What's so inspirational about his story is that there's this clip. You got to watch the documentary that he was in. It's, it's, it's amazing. He became friend with a, friends with a Klan leader. I watched this in his TED Talk. And the press came to interview the Klan. And one of the, the, the Klan leader guys says, I respect this man more than you. And he was pointing to white journalists and saying he respected Daryl Davis, a black man, more. Here's just really interesting. An interesting thing happens when people who believe in separatism or supremacy actually meet and, and see the humanity in someone of a different race. They realize it's, there's one important thing especially if you're like a separatist. Here, you know, this person would say that they enjoy hanging out with Daryl. But if you believe in separatism, the question is, okay, do you want to say goodbye to your, one of your good friends whom you respect? Or do you want to recognize that separatism and racism don't make sense? And that's what's truly amazing. When you are friends with someone, like, I can't imagine anybody who met this guy would say something like, I know he's a good person and he's a great friend and now I'm never going to see, no, 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 no. You never want to see him again? That's the opposite. And so then you have, to, you have to take that into consideration when talking about whether or not you truly believe in supremacy, nationalism, or uh, separatism. I'm talking about racial, ethno-separatism, and nationalism. Because in the end, the mentality was, nah, I'd rather hang out with this guy. He's pretty cool. In which case, they turn in their robes to him. But here he is being called a white supremacist by Antifa. And we all, we all get it. We know it so well. He says, that threw me for a loop. I scratched my head for a second, trying to make sense of this strangely misconceived insult. But all I could do was laugh. I literally even laughed all the way back to D.C. on my flight the next morning. The plane wasn't crowded and I had a whole row to myself. The other passengers must have thought I was crazy. I hope my sharing this with you allows you to find some humor as well. Next time someone calls you a name, think about this and just laugh your A off. We, we have seen the articles. There is a Daily Beast article that says why young men of color are joining white supremacist groups. It's the most absurd and insane nonsense ever written. 
How could Daryl Davis be protested by Antifa? You know what? I can't say I'm surprised. Nothing seems to make sense. But isn't it strange how the businesses, or I'm sorry, the one business, the, the brewery refused to back down, but the theater hosting a man who's famous for de-radicalizing the Klan. Protesters called up, called him names, they canceled. Antifa, never forget this, protested an event about ending racism and called Daryl Davis a white supremacist. Okay, I'm going to end with this. Excuse me. If there is any evidence, anything to show you that the far left activists in Antifa are operating in bad faith and do not care about social justice, it is this. Because everybody who truly cares about social justice and ending racism should be a fan of someone like Daryl. You can even criticize him. Just because you criticize him doesn't mean you're not a fan of his work. In the end, you might think his, how he operates or what he does or something about him is bad, but he was effective. You should be a fan of this man if you think racism is a, ba- is a bad thing. Well, Antifa clearly doesn't. They called him a white supremacist. Now, maybe they're just delusional. I think that's fair to say. Maybe they're just uh, misinformed. However, when given the opportunity to sit down and talk and come to the party, they refused. In fact, I believe, I could be wrong, Bill uh, of Mines invited far left protesters and Antifa onto the stage saying, why don't we give you a spot to speak? And they refused because they don't care about this. They care about violence and winning. This is the best evidence. I got a couple more segments coming up for you in a few minutes. Stick around. I will see you shortly. I saw a story a while back about a GOP congressman who was retiring. I can't remember which one. And I thought, ooh, that's bad news, right? 2020 is coming. And with Trump's base coming out, many people believe the GOP is going to take back the House. However, if too many Republicans retire, it could be, it, well, it is bad news for Republicans. They, stay, they may still win because people are going to you know, check the R box. They're not going to care who, what the name is. However, this does leave an opening for Democrats to take over and, and claim more space in the House. At first, the story didn't phase me too much. But now we have, what, like 15 retirements? I can say this, at least in my opinion, Trump is transforming the Republican Party. People who are you know, in the Republican Party for a long time are leaving, and they're going to replace, be replaced, in my opinion, by younger, more I don't know, boisterous and passionate members of Congress. Trump changed a lot of things, and so did Bernie Sanders, even though the DNC maintained their stranglehold. But this is bad news. It is bad news for Republicans. But in the end, if they win, it will be transformational and good for Republicans to get rid of the old and bring in the new. I'm not a big fan of incumbents. You know, I even cheered for Ocasio-Cortez when she outed that 10-term, you know, establishment crony, although I think she's still really bad. She's proven herself, in my opinion, to be bad. I gave her a chance. Let's read the story. And see what's going on with this wave of GOP retirements. And you know, people on the left are saying this is proof the Republicans are falling apart. Or perhaps the party is reforming as the party of Trump, which is why you see the lion or whatever instead of, you know, the elephant. Let's read. The Hill reports a wave of House GOP retirements that accelerated during the August recess is creating fresh headaches for party leaders and suggesting Republicans see little chance of winning back the chamber in 2020. We'll see. We'll see. So far, 15 Republicans have announced this cycle that they are retiring, resigning, or running for other offices, including eight since the summer recess began in late July. A handful of those departing, such as Rep. Will Hurd in Texas, would have faced tough reelections in competitive districts. But the vast majority occupy safe, conservative seats. 
a sign that these lawmakers may be fatigued from the chaotic Trump era and have no desire to wander in the political wilderness for another two years or longer after losing the House in 2018. I got to say, I can't blame them. I don't necessarily blame Trump. It's the culture war. It's escalating to this point. You can look back to Gamergate and, you know, there's still people very much, you know, obsessed with these personalities that I think are irrelevant, but it's escalated. This culture war has expanded and people talk about getting woke or getting red pilled. It's not so much about someone finally waking up and realizing what's happening. It's about the ideology spreading and infecting other areas of our society. And it's going to reach a boiling point. Now we're seeing potentially people saying, I don't want to play anymore. I don't. And I know a lot of YouTubers who have tried or just straight up left because it's getting nuts. You better be ready because I don't know where we're headed. Let's read. The most likely outcome is a status quo election for the House. And that certainly influences people's decision to retire when they think they can regain the majority, whether they think that they can regain the majority or not, said former Rep. Carlos Curbelo of Florida, one of two dozen Republicans swept out of office during the anti-Trump wave election that handed Democrats control of the House last fall. For sure, some of those members who retired staying in the minority was a factor in their thinking. Former Rep. Tom Davis of Virginia said that said the notion of remaining in the minority is one factor driving the wave of GOP retirements, but it's hardly the only one. Now, listen, if you're going to retire because you're in the minority, well, that is a sign of weakness. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. Yes, the Democrats were in the minority and they fought through it and won the House. Good for them. Good for them. If you're a Republican now and you're like, no, I don't really like being the minority. Oh, come on. This is how politics works. You don't always control the, the, the chamber. It goes back and forth. Grow up. Now, admittedly, they're saying it's not the only factor. So let's read on. But now for the standard, before we move on, go to timcast.com donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a, phys- a physical address. But the best thing you can do, just share this video. Uh, help overcome the hurdles YouTube throws my way because they derank independent political commentary. You know the whole thing. Let's read on. The GOP base has shifted, he said creating new power centers that are forcing once comfortable lawmakers to have to hustle a little bit. Yup. Uh, are they saying that they thought they were going to have a cushy job with free health care? You get elected, you do nothing, you get six, fig- six figures and you sit around smoking cigars. Oh, I'm sorry. Is work hard? This is probably good news. Look, man, I don't care what your political party is. I don't care about tribe. But if we've got people in office who thought it was going to be a cushy, do nothing job, and now they're like, man, this is hard work. I'm going to leave. Good. <laughs> Good riddance. Let's bring in the young, aggressive, and passionate people who want to see change in this country and are going to be different from the crony establishment. Now, I think one of the guys who got elected was like a new Trump figure. So, so don't get me wrong. I think there are a lot of people who believe you get elected to Congress, then you retire, and you get all those sweet benefits for the rest of your life. And that could be another thing driving it. Hey, why should I bother with this? I got a cushy private sector job lined up. Later. Or are there going to be new people who step up and say, I believe in the fight and I want to do right, regardless of whether or not it's Trump or anyone else, will you stand up for what you believe in? He also pointed to the simple question of finances, as members of Congress have not received a pay increase in more than a decade. But perhaps the most significant factor, Davis said, are the changing electoral patterns brought on by the rise of the populist movement that propelled Trump to the White House, an environment that is hardly unique to the U.S. The overall atmosphere in Washington is not very pleasant, said Davis who previously led the House's GOP campaign's arm, campaign arm. This is a global phenomenon caused by the rapidity of change. 
the instant communications, the rising expectations of those people who are unhappy with the change, who don't see government helping fast enough, and who feel their status threatened. Yeah, actually, as like a moderate, I think the left has just sped off full speed into the wilderness and they're driving everyone off a cliff. There are a lot of conservatives who are saying you're pulling too fast. They're not necessarily wrong. Progress happens. The left moves left and it drags everyone along with it. The left now has just hopped in a car and just took off. And, and the moderates and the conservatives are like, where'd you go? Like, what are you doing? You've lost it. So it's not so much about not wanting to change. It's about, yes, the rapidity of change and how crazy the other side is getting. I guess people don't want to be involved in that fight. Whatever the cause, retirements are piling up quickly. This week, GOP reps Bill Flores and Jim Sensenbrenner said they won't seek another term in 2020. That's Texas and Wisconsin, respectively. They joined six other Republicans to announce over the summer recess that they're either retiring or resigning. Reps Heard, Kenny Marchant, Sean Duffy, John Shimkus, as well as former Natural Resource Committee Chairman Bob Bishop and former Agricultural Committee Chairman Mike Conaway. Democrats have mocked the five GOP retirements from the Lone Star State as the Texas. Yeah, Texas is turning blue. What are you going to do about it? All told, 15 Republicans have already announced plans to give up their seats compared to four Democrats. And as the retirement list has grown this summer, GOP lawmakers and aides are anxiously asking one another who might be next to go. Among the names being floated around Washington are veteran establishment Republicans such as Reps Fred Upton, Steve Chabot, Mac Thornberry, Greg Walden, all former committee chairmen, as well as rank and file members such as Reps Adam Kinzinger and Ken Buck. The retirements are unnerving, said Bill Miller, a GOP lobbyist and consultant in Austin. The reality is that life in the minority is just not as appealing. But at the same time, in some of these cases, there is a little bit of fear of losing built of losing built into the decision not to run again. Democrats are hardly immune to the trend and retirements don't necessarily mean losing the seats. I want to make one thing, you know, one, one important point. I've looked at this poll. It shows that in 2018, Trump's voters didn't come out. The people who voted for Trump are not traditional Republicans. They voted for Trump because they wanted Trump. They didn't vote in the midterms. However, they expect these people will come out in 2020 to support Trump and they're going to check R all the way down. So yes, the Democrats reclaimed the House in 2018, but there is a huge, there's a, a large, I'll, I'll put it this way, a lot of people think, based on the Trump effect, Republicans are going to take the House back. So if these people would just stick to their guns and stand up and fight, they might actually win. But I think no matter what, maybe, maybe the retirement is the right thing to do. Step aside and let someone else step up and, and take the fight someone who believes in it and is passionate. And if you're not up for it, good, get out of the way. Either help or get out of the way. And it goes for the Democrats too. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to be left or right. It's plain and simple, man. There's a culture war going on. Pick your side and fight for it, okay? Well, I, I don't want to say it like that, but if you have a side, if there's something you believe in and you're just going to turn around and walk away because you're, you're scared of losing, I don't have any respect for that. But I'll admit, getting out of the way is probably the best thing. They say heading into the 2012 elections, the party roles were reversed. Democrats had the White House, but Republicans held the speaker's gavel, and all signs pointed to them keeping it. During that cycle, 22 Democrats retired or sought a different office. But Republicans picked up only five of those seats, and GOP operatives are hoping to have similar success next year defending the open spots. I think you get the point. Let's read the conclusion, because I do try to keep these short. They say, GOP leaders are pressing their members to raise money for the House, 
GOP campaign operations and stump for candidates around the country, translating to more time away from home. It takes a lot of work to get back to the majority, Ross told The Hill. If they can't be everything the team wants them to be, then they start thinking maybe it's time for someone else to do it. It's not bad for the process to get fresh new people and fresh ideas in there, he added. And I think that is the, the final takeaway. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen and, and let someone else step up who might be able to. Well, we'll see how this, how this plays out. This might really transform the Republicans and bring about a true party of Trump. The new people, the new people who come in to run Republican, they're probably going to be on board with Trump, at least a little bit, at least more than the establishment. So I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. A story that went viral among the left because they love the narrative and they don't care for the facts. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Moderates and conservatives have a healthier news diet than the left does. Left-wing media is collapsing. It's becoming desperate, and people are getting fed up. Perhaps people on the left should wake up and start doing a better job. Here's the story. They claimed Trump rallies increased hate crimes by 226%. Huh. Now, you may ask yourself, Tim, I love opening this way, by the way. How is it that Tim is, is rarely wrong on these stories? Well, first of all, I used credible sources that sometimes are wrong, okay? However, you might ask why I got Covington right, why I've gotten the Amazon fires correct, and why now this story? Well, it's simple. I just wait. When the story came out, I said something's missing. This doesn't make sense. And I'll wait until like the next morning or so. And here we go. Yesterday afternoon, the, the Trump rallies didn't have any impact. When they controlled the population, guess what? Zero percent increase. It was just a narrative that Trump was rallying white supremacy or some other nonsense. And it's just not true. Let's read the story from Reason. No, Trump rallies didn't increase hate crimes by 226%. In fact, they didn't have any de- detectable impact at all. They say in the aftermath of August's mass shooting in El Paso, a cursory glance at the news might have left you with the impression there were two villains that day, the white supremacist who killed 22 people or, and President Donald Trump, who supposedly incited him. Quote, the president cannot be absolved of responsibility for inciting the hatreds that led to El Paso, reads a New York Times piece. Democratic presidential contenders echoed this sentiment with Beto O'Rourke saying Trump's rhetoric has a lot to do with the shooting and Kamala Harris alleging that Trump was tweeting out the ammunition used by the El Paso shooter. Sure. Blaming the words of controversial politicians for the acts of terrorists and lunatics without hard evidence is not new. However, a recent academic paper reported on by numerous outlets before it went through the peer review process suggests that Trump actually is to blame. Studying the effects of Trump's many campaign rallies on reported hate incidents, three professors, the University of North Texas and Texas A&M, Eil Feinberg, Regina Branton, and Valerie Martinez Ebers claim that Trump rallies are associated with a 226% increase in such incidents. Naturally, their study went viral. Vox, The Washington Post, The San Francisco Chronicle, and CNN all published articles reporting that Trump's words are so bad that exposure to them leads to a wave of hate crimes. Isn't it funny? These are your, your typical contenders in knee-jerk responses to incomplete data. The Washington Post once fabricated a story. I've called that out before. They once refused to correct when they, when they, miss, they, they, they published fake information about Project Veritas. Look, you don't got to be a fan of any of these people. You don't got to be a fan of the Post or Veritas. The fact is, the Post published lies. CNN? Don't get me started on CNN. Uh, Don Lemon did a black hole swallow an airplane? Oh, give me a break, dude. But I, I love highlighting it because it's the most absurd thing you probably ever heard. But of course, the study comes out 
and they just immediately go, oh, look, it's proof. There it is. And all everybody wiggles their arms in the air, screeching about Trump. Once again, Democratic politicians piled on. Your language creates a climate which emboldens violent extremists, wrote Senator Bernie Sanders in a social media post. Your rhetoric is directly and indirectly inciting hate, Mr. President. Well, listen, Trump isn't, hasn't gone so far as to claim there are concentration camps on the border like Ocasio-Cortez has. And if you want to play this game of it's their fault, we'll play the same game of it's Ocasio-Cortez's fault that people are attacking ICE facilities. There have been, I believe now, five or six immigration facilities, not all ICE, that were, that were attacked by people. The dude in Tacoma showed up with firebombs and a gun, echoed her rhetoric. Am I going to blame her for it? Just a little bit. Does Trump deserve blame? Well, just a little bit. Okay. They're not inciting it. They're just talking about their opinions. If someone goes crazy, it's the crazy person's fault. But what do you think comes next? Here's the difference. Trump talks boastfully about where we've always been. Okay. You had Democratic politicians saying the same thing as him. You're going to blame him? Okay. Then blame Bernie Sanders, who still defends border security. Ocasio-Cortez, however, I think has taken it one step further. I do believe that when you talk and you, and you say you know, things about certain groups, people will you know, get riled up. It's a fact. Is it, to, is, is it the politician's fault? No, they're expressing their opinions. I think AOC is making a huge mistake. And I, I have also criticized Trump in the past, but we don't need to play this game. We don't. It's, let's, get to the, let's, get to, let's, let's get to the facts. Okay, let's see exactly how they, they conclude this. Is that where the story ends? Not quite. Using the same data and statistical procedures as Feinberg et al., we replicated their study headline result. Since we did not have access to the original paper's data and code, this involved collecting each of the variables mentioned in the original paper and then independently performing the same analysis. Wherever possible, we copied the decisions that are mentioned in the original paper. Our headline results were very close to those reported in the original paper. Oh, it's interesting. So, so were they right? Were they right? Using additional data we collected. We also analyzed the effect of Hillary Clinton's campaign rallies using the identical statistical framework. The ostensible finding, Clinton rallies contribute to an even greater increase in hate incidents than Trump rallies. Certainly, this can't be true, right? Exactly. This should be enough to give any reader pause. The implied reasoning of those who cited the initial study was that Trump's caustic and seemingly racist rhetoric contributed to a crueler, more discriminatory climate, ripe for hate crimes. If this interpretation is correct, why did Clinton inspire as many, if not more, hate incidents as Trump did? Did calling millions of Americans deplorables promote violence? Well, yeah, <laughs> but no, probably not. Both of these results rely on comparing counties with rallies to other counties without them. This produces a glaring problem. Politicians tend to hold political rallies near where large numbers of people live. And in places with more people, the raw number of crimes is generally mechanically higher. Simply put, no one should be surprised that Orange County, California was home to both more reported hate crimes and Trump rallies than Orange County, Indiana, <laughs> which has zero. Yes, one has 3 million people, one has 19,000. Nor is it sensible to interpret that one of these differences is, uh, that one of these differences is caused by the other political rallies. Indeed, adding a simple statistical control for county population to the original analysis causes the estimated effect of Trump rallies on reported hate incidents to become statistically indistinguishable from zero. The study is wrong, and yet journalists ran away with it. Well, this is, this is what they do. There's so much fake. The media loves it when fake data comes out. They don't fact check the reports. They don't ask for proof. They just say, study was done. It's a fact. Welcome to, to the media in 2019. They say, how could this happen? Even if researchers attempt to be unbiased, 
It is easy for ideology to interfere with the practice of the scientific method. Empirical work requires numerous small assumptions and choices, often without obvious right and wrong opinions that collectively affect the findings. The hypotheses that researchers choose to test often reflects their beliefs. And when initial, statistics, when initial statistical findings do not match the researcher's gut intuition, it is easy to tweak these choices until the analysis works. Recently, there was a study that claimed YouTubers in the intellectual dark web lead people to the alt-right and to the alt-right. The pipeline was proven, they say, by comments. Except here's the reality. The researchers started with a conclusion presented by the far left and worked backwards to prove it and took channels that weren't even new, like weren't even commentary channels and claimed they were alt-light. For example, they claimed news to share a non-opinion channel was alt-light. How does that make sense? They don't present opinions. It's just a news channel. What they did was they took their conclusion and then they fit the pieces to draw a line that didn't make sense. And then the left started waving their arms in the air going, whoa, 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 because, oh, there's proof. The researchers prove it. Did you even look at the research? Did you even try to fact check one, one bit of it? It's a big problem we're facing because look at this. The media runs wild with the narrative. Trump increasing hate crimes because you looked at Orange County versus a small town with no people in it. How does that make sense? And why do I have to rely on reason.com to do that fact checking? Why aren't journalists doing this? Well, actually, I'm sorry, reason is doing the work. But why isn't Vox? Why isn't the Washington Post? Because they've gotten lazy. I'm going to leave you with one thing. I'm not, I, 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 I want to keep these short, so I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But I want to leave you with this. Eric Weinstein recently tweeted that, you know, the Epstein, he said, people talk about how media is driven by money. If that were true, they would investigate Epstein because that would result in a ton of money. You're wrong. Okay, this is not true. Here's the way I explain it. Go to an investor and say, I would like $100,000 to make a media company. And he's going to say, what will you produce? We are going to use that money to investigate, you know, a big corporation. They'll say, okay, and at the end of the year, what's my return? Or in two or three years. And the response is, honestly, we don't know because we don't know what the story will get us. It's entirely possible the investigation yields nothing. And the $100,000 you gave us disappears. The investor is going to say that is a huge risk with no guarantee of a reward. I could invest in a building and in a year it will be worth more, presumably. Now, let's try this again. Someone goes to an investor and says, I want to start a media company. I need $100,000. The investor says, what will you produce? We're going to produce woke rage bait that is guaranteed to drive traffic every single day. At the end of the year, what will I have? You're going to have a ton of traffic because people love clicking woke rage bait. Here's the proof. And they're going to say, sounds good to me. And that's how the media operates. So are they going to do the, the, the groundwork to figure out if this is true or not? No, it's a headline. And so is this one. This is why I just, I don't even know it's real, man. People say like, oh, I like watching your channel because, you know, you're honest, whatever. But listen, I use the same sources. I do a little digging to try and fact check for sure. I'm very careful. But at the end, I just got to trust these channels. They're not lying. Sometimes they do. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Podcast every day at 6.30 p.m. And I will see you all next time.